So I went to I went to Washu in 2002, and I was I was like a standard SLU student. I wanted to be a doctor, and so I took chemistry and got a D. <laughs> and, <laughs> and then I decided that that if I wanted to be a doctor, Washu wasn't the place where I could engage enough with teachers because of the 300 student classrooms. It just overwhelmed me enough to make me kind of shell up as a student. So I so I started taking philosophy courses and I think in that time it was when I started I didn't I wasn't a camper or a hiker by any means, but I started understanding that I liked my alone time and sort of more personal interaction with people. So I have a couple of friends from college that I'm really close with but not a posse per se like this standard uh, kind of like American guy I guess and um, in college I helped out with these projects I was on this honorary which was kind of like a co-ed fraternity my junior year and we helped it was a philanthropy where we started a, we did a carnival that had been running for years but it was student run and I think about 40 or 60 percent of the student body participates in some way with the carnival and I was in charge of the construction and electrical stuff on the lot so there were student groups that would put on plays and they'd build these little facade buildings so I'd work with architects and the student groups and make sure that their buildings were being built right and during that time I met a guy whose family started Skyzo and he in college, I helped them a little bit with, um, he was taking a class, I remember helping him get interested in a course where he could write some business plans for that, and then after college, he knew I could build things, so he asked me to help him build the facility, and we had contractors with bathrooms and <clears throat> the electrical stuff the point of sale and offices, but we built the courts and with a welder, we built three huge trampoline courts and I went, in that time I was just being paid hourly and then his dad liked my work ethic so he asked me if I'd be a manager of the facility when it opened. And I didn't have any business background, I had one business class, I took an accounting class in college that I had an agreement with a teacher to, to get a passing grade, but it was just far out of my mental capability. So I was overwhelmed when we started the company because I didn't know, I was good with the people and figuring out, making sure that everybody was working and understanding if they were doing well. We, had a, we were employing, I think like 45 or 50 high school students at one point to work the to work the courts and make sure people were safe and get the right information there and then to work the front desk. And this company was crazy. It wasn't like your standard company that takes a little while to get going. We were turning a profit in two weeks. We started <laughs> max capacity on in from the day moment we opened to the moment we ended. And then we started adding things in the evenings and all of a sudden we were working seven days a week for monster hours. Just it's starting to fly and there was a, a facility in Vegas um, that had opened as a prototype a long time ago but when the when the mother 
di- uh, got diagnosed with cancer, the dad stepped out and he sort of just handed most of the responsibility over to the two of us. And so now we're overseeing a place in Vegas, running the St. Louis one, starting to drop plans for a place in Sacramento and making more money than I had imagined I would make at that time. And I just was swept away by it. I was still the same kind of person I am now, but we were partying so hard that it was not healthy. And I mean, I just wasn't a good, I, I wasn't as good of a person as I wanted to be. So I started feeling like, I remember I got a, I was, I took over the marketing and I was in charge of trying to get school groups in and special interest groups, corporate events and things like that and then all of the general marketing. So I put together a sign or a pamphlet and I, I was tired and it was a Sunday morning and I had a bad experience with how the message I was trying to convey was received by, everything still had to be approved by the dad even though uh, we were sort of in charge, but you know, he rightfully saw things better than I did and I just realized at that moment that I was in the I was in the wrong spot. I was too invested in that. To, I shouldn't have been as tripped up by something like that. So I, I, I had talked to a guy who was working for us. We had this kid who was our age, and he was one of my employees. And he had just—he was in between law school, or he was going to law school, and he had just finished college, and he had taken a year off and done an AmeriCorps program called the National Civilian Conservation Corps. It's referred to as NCCC, and they had, he told me about this program, and I looked into that in the Peace Corps, and so I started to apply to both, and then I finished the AmeriCorps one first, and, and got accepted as a Corps member to that, and in the process of being accepted to a Corps member, they interviewed me to be a team leader, and I decided, alright, I just sitting there one day, I bought a ticket to see a friend in Ecuador and took the job as this team leader in AmeriCorps and a couple weeks later told my boss I was quitting the travel and uh, it was really funny because it all happened as quickly and as jumbled as I'm probably telling you right now but I sat my parents down and told them what I was doing and my mom just sighed and she was like, I'm so glad you haven't lost yourself which was really a nice level of support and so this AmeriCorps program I went to Denver to train for two months and then our teams were randomly given a lottery number to select a project and I was 17 of 32 teams I believe and we maybe there were 28 but either way I was wanting so badly to go to Big Bend. I saw this project. Like I said, I wasn't much of a camper or an outdoors person, but the idea of being like a cowboy or a woodsman still in the back of my head was, I thought, what I what I wanted. I didn't make it through Boy Scouts as a kid because our troop leader was this woman, and I went to learn about masculinity. My dad's the man, but he is not like a masculine man, you know? So somehow the project falls to our team, and we go down there, and it was an, 
it was just such an amazing experience. The, the sponsors for the park service were really good to us and taught us so much. What were you doing? We were doing trail work. <clears throat> so we did, we showed up and, and we started off learning how to prune and brush the trail. So opening up a corridor for hikers or stock depending on what the trail use was for. And then, then they taught us about drainage and we would dig drains on the trails to help with erosion issues. And, uh, and then we kept progressing and then they let us build structures. And so we put in <clears throat> cross trail structures, which are down there built out of wood mostly. And so any step or check or water bar to help with the erosion or uh, we're kind of retaining bars <clears throat> of sorts. And we built a really cool turnpike, I guess it's called, that's a climbing staircase and it's all lapped together. I think it was about 40 or 50 feet long. And um, Anyway, I started really understanding the trail work was about getting people to walk in the right direction and, not, and then also sustain the trails. But I didn't see it in the... I didn't quite get the full picture, so I thought, all right, I think I can do this. And the rest of the year in AmeriCorps, we were down there for eight weeks. We were camping for the whole eight weeks, and that was really cool. Got snowed on a touch, but not a whole lot. So I thought I could weather it, but we were lucky. We didn't really have much rain. We were spoiled campers, you know. And a uh, little bit of backcountry time. So we did the rest of the year, the house building and that time in Mississippi, or uh, that was in Mississippi, and then we went to Louisiana and East Texas for the hurricane relief, which was totally awesome. But the whole time I kept thinking about what I was going to do after AmeriCorps. And like anybody in 2007, 2008, before the economy sort of fell apart, we I thought I could just move to San Francisco and get a job in a environmental organization and make make enough money to live in San Francisco so I so I had met a girl who was from out there and I moved to San Francisco right after AmeriCorps at the end of 2008 and we uh, I didn't get a job <laughs> I got a job at a frame shop I worked at a I guess it's a or it's a company owned by Michaels and I used to frame pictures in the back with this little Vietnamese woman and we'd make that was cool. It was the first time I got to use my art skills from college. Just frame anything from a cowbell to a jersey to a the weirdest one I framed was these three photos. These like uh, boudoir kind of nudie photos of this pregnant woman. It's really interesting. But that was um, I was sitting there making ten fifty or an hour I think trying to live in a seven hundred dollar a month room in San Francisco that was like a closet. And I didn't have a bed inside. I called a friend who had worked, who had gone to Big Ben to work, <clears throat> and uh, she said they had stimulus money coming in, and they were going to do a bunch of emergency hires for the summer. So I got a job in Big Ben, kind of randomly, and I left San Francisco, and I drove down there, and uh, started trails, and that's sort of how it how it all took off, I, it was only in, I think it was up until, I don't know, I, I guess I worked there for a couple seasons and I kept thinking I would try to leave 
to still go back and do these other things. I didn't, I didn't really take it as seriously as I, as I probably should have. I toyed with trying to be a teacher or trying to work on an ambulance or something, something more legitimate, I thought, where I could still live in a city and be around friends and family. But I, the, the longer I kept working, the better I kept doing, and and um, and I kept understanding it in a more full aspect. That I realized this is what I wanted to do. When you say understanding it in a more, like more full aspect, like what? Do you, how would you describe that now in relationship to like what you've done and kind of who you are? I guess. Um, well, one, as soon as I. St- not, I guess, as soon, but I quickly realized the total fulfillment I was receiving, which is, maybe it's a, trail work is sort of a selfish job, because I, I'm one of the only people I know that loves waking up for their job every day, and then, and I, even when I do a job that's maybe not the most awesome thing, it's still pretty awesome. I always get to take lunch and look around at something cool. I've rarely had an experience where I've had that bad of a day, and so that's selfish, and it's also selfish because I'm I'm hard to access typically from my family, and uh, but <clears throat> when I do see my friends and family, I'm a way better version of myself that I appreciate and they appreciate because of where I am and who I get to interact with on a daily basis that I, I feel like, um, I think in that Time Magazine article it said you sort of realize who you are as an individual sometime like in your early 30s, that comes into realization, and I've always thought that of myself as the way I am now, which is a lot, I don't know, I've never really been, I've been a little quieter and calmer, like you can really turn me up at times, but I like to be sort of aware of what's going on around me and have moved slower and talk slower and never really have too many incredible peaks or valleys and just always at a nice little high plane of happiness, you know. And trail work is just that way. There's nothing that's ever dire. There's nothing that's ever... no. You'll get in a situation where your heart rate will rise because maybe you got a tree that you need to cut down that's really huge or... Or like we were caught in a flood one time and we needed to get across this river crossing and so that, you know, things kind of pick yourself up or you'll be caught in a really exposed situation on a high pass and a storm will come in. But those still aren't, you know, you can just hunker down and you'll make it through and the work you're doing is not going to, it's not the end of the world if it doesn't get done today. Do you think that is like a... Specific to the trail work, though, or do you think that is more like just like how you've developed as a person or who you are as a person? I think that it's probably a combination because what I've realized is by spending time with all these people who access the trails, they're they're just happy we're out there working and doing something to help their hike easier, be better. And every once in a while, you get an angry hiker that doesn't understand why they can't just walk in the wilderness but I know that if I didn't do that for them they'd be lost and then 
they'd be paying more tax money to have me be a search and rescue guy to find them in a bad situation. So, <clears throat> and that we're protecting the resources because we're channeling everybody to walk. I've heard it described as, I know I kind of just got a little sidetracked, but um, trail work is being a guide dog. So you kind of, people walk without understanding where they're walking. And that people are much happier in the city when they're walking on the sidewalk and they don't have to think about, am I off the curb or am I on the street? And so here's the same way. They see a path and they don't really think about it and all of a sudden they're on it. And what they don't realize is they're not trampling sensitive plants or non-sensitive plants, just plants in general. And they're staying on a place that we've reinforced. The whole mountain is going to the ocean. We just want the trail where they walk to go at the same rate as the rest of the mountain. And so now they're, now they're walking in a place that's protected in that sense. They're, we're all we're focusing the impact in one area and then we're trying to make it so that their impact doesn't force pieces of the mountain to erode at a more significant rate and so um and it's safer and all that kind of stuff too but uh i think it is my personality a little bit but a lot of trail people are the same way we're not there are all different kinds of personality types that work trails super folk focused on details or big picture people, spacey or attentive, but when it's all comes down to it, everybody, everybody has the same kind of, um, I don't know, I guess outlook on it that, I don't know, there's just a, I don't know if I have the right words to describe the sort of even with an intense personality that sometimes you'll work with, there's still this general level of calm that everybody exhibits. You know, and, and their trail crews, I've heard there's a handful of different things. There are people who love to work hard and love to play hard, and that's pretty true. But you can still do all that and be like a pretty mellow individual. They're also really innovative because we get into situations with hand tools where we need to figure out a different kind of solution to overcome the problem and um, so they anyway I think I don't know if I'm really speaking Could you, to your well, question. I'm, I'm, I'm wondering about perhaps it would work well to like frame it in contrast to <clears throat> like the perceived normality of like a kind of a corporate job and what it is about these two different environments that Okay. Perhaps allows you to maintain that, like okay. I don't know if you would call it perspective or or whatever. No, that's true. Um, I guess, I mean, I see my brother. He's not maybe the most, the greatest example of a standard corporate job, but I guess him and he travels a lot and he works from home, and that's a lot of I think a lot more folks are doing now, and he's happy. He's got a family and a wife and good stuff going on. Although I can't hand, I could not handle his job in life because he, it's his level of he needs to be on so many more hours of the day, and when he's on, he is like fully cranked up. So when I go hang out with him, 
we hang out really hard and then as soon as the lights go off to go to bed it's like boom zeros and then wake up in the morning and rev the engine full and there's not ever any like tapering into that stuff so and the expectations like we were talking about our friends who are lawyers or or any other job the amount that they need to be on the phone and the requirement to have a phone that accesses them to email and all those things I have a phone now, but in Big Bend we had a landline, and in Kings Canyon we had a satellite phone <laughs> that was like emergencies only. So I write letters to communicate with my family. Now I talk to them sometimes on the phone, but we still write letters, and I just hope that the friends I write letters to write back, because that's the best way for me to stay in touch. So the life that I have. I think I interact with people who are hikers that talk to me about their lives and I still interact with my friends and family who have the standard corporate jobs and those things I guess help me have perspective on the difference. I mean I, I get to think, typically I hike in the workday so I spend between 15 minutes and an hour alone in my head. And I don't think, and I'm getting, I have to do that. I have to do that for work. So I'm getting paid to think and to go to wherever my head wants to go. And I don't think that, that most people get 10 minutes a day of personal introspective time or time to do whatever they want with their own brain. And because I have this like regular, I don't know if you want to call it movement meditation or something like that. I am able to, I think it's built into the job that you're required to center yourself always. And you can have problems and things, but you get time to evaluate it and find where you are. So uh, I, being on working trails makes me more aware of who I am and where I am and what I'm trying to do with myself. So these days, where in those 15 minutes to an hour, where is your mind going? Like, what is what is occupying you? Oh man, it's anything from food. I think a lot about food. <laughs> I think a lot about what I'm eating for dinner that night. Oh man, and then all day I'm by myself sometimes digging a drain or doing whatever. But I, I, uh, I don't know. It sort of depends on what's going on in my life. Sometimes I'm thinking about a conversation that I'm gonna have with my family or something to like the last couple of years I've been trying to plant the seed that I am doing something serious this is my life you you love me a lot more now than you did when I was right out of college so be be supportive and they are they're really I'm really fortunate but sometimes I'll think about that in ways of continuing to help make them feel like I'm being serious um, even though it's a six-month job and then other times I just think about, recently I've been thinking about ways that I can get Rachel out here to live with me and still find a way to make it work in this area. But it's, it's anything, having access to magazines and internet recently, I've been thinking a lot about articles that I've read or somebody will mention uh, a world issue and then I'll think about that for an hour while I'm walking or the whole day while I'm digging. Re 
This out here though, man, I've been thinking a lot about trees because there are just so many. I'm not comfortable yet here because I don't understand all the trees. Normally I like to try to have a grasp on what's above me and around me and what's going on in the soil and the rocks. And so I've been trying to learn the trees so all day. I'll try to pick one tree and learn what that is as I hike and then and that's really hard, but yeah, I don't know. I guess sorry, I keep like starting to answer and then <laughs> weaving. But um, can you take me through like a day where, like a specific one, where at the end of it you have this feeling of I wouldn't want to be doing anything else. Like a, a day when like like a perfect day. Uh, or like a really good one. Yeah, yeah, no, that's cool. Well, there are, I've been fortunate because I've been able to work in three incredibly different environments. Big Bend, the intense desert and high desert, and then the high Sierra of Kings Canyon and now here. So a perfect day on the surface looks very different at each place based on the kind of work but a perfect day for me is um, because of the work is so physical I, I've eaten well I come home I feel healthy because I'm still hydrated I don't have any aches or pains or strains but I've worked really hard and my muscles feel tired and I'm ready to eat dinner and I feel like we have a really rewarding job because we can often see something we've done and the impact it has immediately. So I come out, come out with that reward. And whether that means, so like in Big Bend, the perfect day was I got to lead a lot of volunteer groups, groups that like the AmeriCorps team I was in. And a perfect day with one of the teams down there was teaching them concepts about trail work and putting in structures and then watching them get it and seeing them be able to produce. And so my, it wasn't necessarily my own physical work of building something, but watching the teaching take hold and then, then make what I wanted them to. And so, and that was exhausting in its own special way. And in Kings Canyon, man, a perfect day was getting up and having a nice peaceful morning, watch the sunrise over the mountains, the granite changes color, hike up really hard, place a couple of rocks. Like, I remember when I was first getting a grip on rock work, which is dry stone masonry, I, was about, I built this pretty big switchback wall and I got three rocks one day, which was awesome. They were just like the size of this table, they were huge. But I got three to set and they locked in tight and they had the contact I wanted and I knew they were gonna be sturdy and they and I came back, got a nice bath in the lake, refreshing, ate dinner, watched the sunset, and read for a little while, wrote a couple letters. And that's like that it's hard not to feel emotional about that place out there because it's just it's so much. And here there are perfect days too, and I'm trying to 
learn and it's hard to kind of get my like I said I'm still getting my bearings but similarly I feel healthy when I come home the other day was we had a pretty perfect day I think this week most days are perfect I mean some days they're not maybe like they're maybe 98% because I didn't drink enough water or something like that or I got poison ivy but you have good interactions with your crew and we got that tree to finally move. Um, yeah, if we finished the project and we saw it, even if you're halfway through, but you feel like you're making progress, it's cool. We we were constantly setting up new systems to get the the little bit of equipment we had to work best and to pull it in the right direction, and um, it was really physical and mental, which is a pretty neat combination. And I got to work with this other girl on the crew I was working with, we were, it's really fun when you kind of can connect and start hitting on the same page as somebody and you're sort of in rhythm with them and you talk about stuff, but your language gets all chopped up and really jargony, but you know what you're talking about and you start executing. I don't know, I'd say those are perfect days. Yeah, and with the letter and uh, in a book. So do you <laughs> do you think about what happens next, or are you content to just kind of be in what you're doing, let it end, and then figure out what happens next? Um, I think I. I mean, I I do think about what happens next. Uh, I'm. I'm content with with everything and letting it happen, but I care enough about my family where, not saying that if people just let it go that they don't care about their family, but the my family and Rachel make me feel like I need to think about what I'm doing next or how this progresses to something next so that I can be more available as they age and as my parents retire and as my brother's kids grow up and my sister wants to have children and as as Rachel wants to settle down and have a family. But settling doesn't, I don't, the hardest part is I think about what, what will be next because settling in my mind is not going to be a traditional settling. I don't think it's going to require that we do what I have always thought I would have done, which is get buy a house, have a yard, have family that goes that lives in that little house. I don't, I don't, I just, I don't know really what it looks like, but um, I just know that I'm working towards it. So I think a lot about it, but I don't really have a very concrete image of it. Um, I guess if that makes sense, because it's so, it's so. I mean, it's hard to not have grown up with exposure to things like we did. My parents did their best, but but they would have never guessed me to be living out here. So so to see, to meet people who have families that live in these situations, they're happy, they're healthy, they're, they're new families growing up well, they're getting educated. I think there's a way to balance it, but I just don't know how yet.
I met Colin in high school. I think we all have the experience of friendships that transcend regular contact or communication. An understanding somehow carries as you each proceed down the multi-forked trail of your own life. When circumstances allow, you meet back on the same path, however briefly, and find deep satisfaction in communion. To me, Colin's decision to leave a traditional job was both brave and necessary. It's clear that he is a more complete and balanced person doing something he loves, and I hope we can all find the conviction within ourselves to make the decisions, however difficult they may be, that allow us to reach our potential. I want to thank Colin so much for hosting us in the Great Smoky Mountains and for reminding us of the benefits of a mindful life. I'm Michael Lewis, and that's it.